Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Good morning. Thanks, Shane and Musos. Yeah. That's good, that's good. Thank you. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Kane. I'm, um, I work up at ACC, Australian Christian College in Caboolture and the um, Department of Humanities uh, and Christian Studies. Now, this morning we're going to start our series on the book of Philippians and I'm going to be looking at verses 12 to 21 in particular, but I thought we'd do a, a, a quick introduction to the book itself. So, uh, it's a, a letter written by Paul. It covers key Christian subjects or themes such as joy, a partnership in sharing the good news, gratitude, what does that mean from a Christian perspective, resilience and humility, particularly chapter 2, which I'm thankfully not preaching on next week, uh, which is about the self-emptying of Christ himself in order to be incarnate in the flesh and what that meant for his divinity and what that looks like. So I think Tim is going to enlighten us next week on that particular topic. Um, it's penned by Paul while he's actually in prison in Rome in 60, between probably 60, 62 AD. And it really does communicate his deep affection for the Christian community in a place called Philippi, which now is southern Macedonia, which is the northern part uh, of Greece. Incidentally, the earliest manuscript we have of the Philippians' passages dates to about 175 AD. I think it sits in a university in America, so not very long, really, after the, uh, the, the life of Christ. And this one really is written in within a generation uh, of Jesus coming to, into this world. And in this book, you'll see that Paul shares his contentment despite adversity. And he encourages everyone to have a, Christ set, a Christ-like mindset in all circumstances. Um, I don't know if you know much about Paul, but he must have been a really full-on person to be around. In the negative sense, when he was full on in terms of persecuting the church, he was the man who was managing and leading that until Jesus confronted him about this on the road to Damascus and Paul's dedication has switched across from that to actually sharing with pretty much everybody he ran into about Jesus Christ. So he becomes this, this apostle, this missionary, um, and he gives it 100%. Um, Historians debate about his, his, the manner of his death, but Eusebius, one of the historians, said that he was probably beheaded by Nero, when Nero was emperor of Rome, shortly after the great fire of Rome. So that's probably how his life ended. He worked as a tent maker, so he, he, pretty, he encouraged church to... To, you know, to give gifts, monetary gifts to other churches to help them. He encouraged churches to make sure that those who were putting a good part of their week aside to, 
you know, to organise and teach the word. We're, 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 you know, we're, we're sort of given financial support. But he himself, it seems, never actually accepted something like that. He kind of worked as a tent maker as he journeyed around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel. So that's Paul in a nutshell, and that's a letter to the Philippians. If you have your Bibles, or more so these days, your devices, could you please turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. Now, I'm going to read it to you, but hopefully you have it on your devices as well. Does anyone actually have a hard copy of the Bible with them today? Is a traditionalist? Yes, good stuff. Good stuff. Although some churches you go to today have the light so dim you can't read it anyway. All right. So we're going to read uh, beginning at verses 12. This is Paul writing. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 15. It is true that some preach the gospel out of envy and rivalry, but others of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice." Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain." You know, Plato wrote his first sentence of his famous Republic nine different ways before he was satisfied. Cicero practised speaking before friends every day for 30 years to perfect his elocution. Noah Webster laboured 36 years writing his dictionary, crossing the Atlantic twice to gather material. Milton rose at 4 a.m. every day in order to have enough hours for his paradise lost. Gibbon, the poet, spent 26, sorry, the the fellow who wrote The Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire, spent 26 years on that piece of writing. And Bryant rewrote one of his poetic masterpieces 99 times before it was published and it became a classic. See, the question for us today is to what or to whom are we dedicated? To what or to whom are you dedicated? Paul's dedication to Jesus is demonstrated in a variety of ways in this morning's passage, and hopefully the ones we look at will help us, by the grace of God, to grow in our dedication to the person of Jesus Christ. And the first demonstration is Paul's dedication to Jesus is demonstrated in his response to persecution. And we see this in verses 12 to 14. 
how should we respond to being persecuted for our faith, whether it be uh, physically or emotionally or psychologically? How do you respond? The first thing Paul says is he wants the Philippian church to know that what has happened to him really has served to advance the gospel. Note that he repeatedly uses the term, I'm in chains, I'm imprisoned. Now, you would think that locking somebody up actually restricts their opportunities to evangelise. One might even wonder why God would allow an apostle like Paul to be in chains. Paul, however, testifies to the exact opposite. He says the gospel has been advanced. So don't be anxious about my circumstances. Now, such words would have been very encouraging for the churches in Philippi because they were very concerned for Paul's welfare. Moreover, Paul uses the word furtherance or advance, which basically conveys the image of that pioneer. If you can get in your mind the image of a pioneer cutting a path through a dense forest area, that's where that word comes from. So Paul's saying it's not easy. Don't get me wrong, it's not easy. But it's like he is clearing a path as an example for all believers to follow. In fact, in verses 14 and 13, Paul describes how his imprisonment has resulted in a greater witness. He talks about the palace guard, who would have been the Praetorian guards, probably the emperor's own elite soldiers. And Paul would have been guarded by these fellows for a one to two year period under house arrest. He said he had the opportunity to speak to these guys, to witness to them when they did their four hour shifts. So these men were, were close to Paul. And Paul said, this is a great opportunity. They were literally chained to him. So Paul says, while I'm in chains, I'll speak to you, knowing that evangelization or anything in terms of what he wanted to share to these men, they wouldn't get anywhere else. So he preached the gospel to them. And he says this is a result of God's sovereign will that he is with them. He also had the opportunity to write while he was in prison, and they gave him permission to speak to visitors. Paul, though in chains, saw past the persecution to the opportunities that were there to evangelise people. His attitude and response to being in chains was also an outstanding testimony for other Christians because in verse 14, he says, because of my chains, most of my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word more boldly, more courageously, fearlessly. See, the way we respond to persecution, whether it be at work, school, or even home, unfortunately, not only demonstrates your, demonstra your dedication to Jesus, but it can have an incredible impact on the lives of other brothers and sisters who are watching you. Wouldn't it be encouraging to know that your response to persecution, because of your faith, has played an instrumental role in encouraging others to a new boldness in sharing their faith? So that's the first thing. Paul's dedication has demonstrated in his response to persecution. The second thing is that Paul's dedication to Jesus is demonstrated in the way that he responded to internal persecution as well. In verses 15 to 18, we see this. The preaching of some of these other leaders was motivated by their envy of Paul and rivalry of him. 
They were not heretics, says Paul, because they're preaching Christ. However, Paul says their motivation is actually to preach out of envy and strife. These teachers were jealous of the attention that Paul was receiving and so they determined to sow seeds of dissension within the church in order to cause him trouble. These folks, Paul says, are spurred on by selfish ambition. They took advantage of Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to attack him. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. They may have been suggesting, in fact, that Paul's imprisonment was part of God's judgment on him. They seem to delight in kicking him when he's down, when he goes through difficult circumstances. And unfortunately, for those of us who have been in the church long enough, often criticism and attack comes from within. Comes from within. It comes from other Christians. Well, how do we respond at those times? Usually, I think we seek to defend ourselves. But look at Paul's response in verse 18. What does it matter? What does it matter? He said, the important thing is that every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. And because of this, I rejoice. That's incredible. That's incredible, considering the criticism that, he's, that he is enduring. There's actually a Greek story about a man who killed himself through envy. His fellow citizens had erected a statue to one of their number who was a celebrated champion in the public games, but this man, a rival of this, this honoured athlete, was envious and vowed that he would destroy the statue. So every night he went out and in the darkness he chiselled at the base of the statue until finally... He undermined its foundation and it fell. It landed on him. He succeeded, but in the process he, he died. Of course, it's, a, it's kind of a story about envy and what happens to, it, to you as it eats away at you. And I love Paul's response here. These envious troublemakers, what does Paul do? He ignores them. He ignores them. There's no defence, it seems, there's no attack. See, Paul knows that God will ultimately judge them for their motives for preaching. Paul actually finds joy focusing on the bigger picture. Although these fellows preach in one way to attack and destroy him and pull him down, they are still getting the good news across. And for Paul, that's good enough. That's good enough. Let God deal with them. I'll concentrate on what really matters and put my energy towards what really matters, that people hear the good news about Jesus. And we ought to do the same when those attacks from within come at us. The third example of Paul's dedication to Jesus was demonstrated in his overall sense of satisfaction. And we see this in verses 19 to 23. Without breaking stride, Paul begins his section by picking up where he has just concluded, moving from his present joy to his prospect of even greater joy. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, he says. For he says, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. So he's saying to the Philippians church, your prayer is vital for me at this time. I appreciate and I need your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. 
It's interesting the word there for supply was actually in terms of he's asking the Philippian Christians to pray that the Spirit will generate supply of strength and focus. That Greek word's actually used to describe what a choir manager would do for, would provide for all the members of a Greek drama. In short, it was the manager who took care of all their living expenses, all their needs. And the word came to mean a full supply of any kind. And Paul uses this word, speaking of the Holy Spirit supply, for him or empowerment for him. He refers to the daily supplying or empowering to endure, endure troubled situations before him. He looks to the Holy Spirit to magnify Jesus in his life, to give him strength, to keep him on track. I was speaking to a friend the other day about, it was at a school where if a student is caught doing something wrong, one of the punishments given to them or the consequences is they would write out the values of Christ. Number one, I, don't, I didn't like that because it was associated with something negative. But it was Christ-like behaviour. And if you're a student and you got in trouble, you'd sit down and you'd write out, Christian, Christ is about these values. And I said, well, you can't do that to a student. You have no idea what their faith is. As Christians, we need to be reminded we cannot do anything without the Holy Spirit. You cannot say to a person, you need to be like Christ, if they don't have the Holy Spirit within them. And Paul is saying, I need the Holy Spirit who gives full supply. So I can only do what I'm doing because the Spirit of Christ is within me and working within me. And he's saying to the Philippian Christians, please pray for this, pray for this, pray for this. Now that's fascinating. He's not saying pray that I have the right words to stick up for myself or pray for, for the energy to get through. He's saying pray, get the Holy Spirit to fill me so that I can keep preaching Christ, which is quite amazing. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death whatever happens to me Jesus says all that matters is that Christ be exalted for Paul he had Jesus Christ in life and he had Jesus Christ in death and he would be satisfied most satisfied with either one. I love the words of the, the Congregationalist pastor, Jonathan Edward, Edwards, who wrote in his journal, resolve that all men should live to the glory of God. Resolve, secondly, that whether or not anyone else does, I will. Can you and I honestly say that what we desire most is that Jesus be exalted in our life? Can we honestly say what we desire most is that Jesus, the person Jesus Christ, be exalted in our church or in our community above anything else? And Paul is saying this, this is not an easy thing to do. When he writes, according to my earnest expectation, 
in the New King James, or I eagerly expect in the NIV, in verse 20, the phrase translated a Greek word which pictures an outstretched hand of someone straining, straining towards attention on an object. So it's not easy. And Paul's dedication to Jesus, he's saying, is a constant strain and a constant work to remain focused on what truly matters. That is why I need the Spirit of Christ within me. He had a confident expectation that all this that he was enduring was God's work and that the Spirit would give him needed strength not to lose hope so that Christ be magnified in his body, in his life. There was a meeting at a fellowship of Christian athletes where Bobby Richardson, who was a New York Yankee second baseman, was asked to offer a prayer at the end of a meeting and it is classic in its brevity and its focus. He simply got up and said, Dear God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And I think that kind of prayer sums up Paul's attitude in this passage. And I pray that that kind of dedication to Jesus Christ can be seen in our lives, can be seen in our church as a response when we are persecuted as a response when you are persecuted by non-believers and also, unfortunately, by other Christians. Yet we'll see a great satisfaction, just like Paul in Christ, that regardless of the circumstances, all that matters is that we preach Christ. John Wesley says, If we suffer persecution and affliction in the right manner, we attain a larger measure of conformity to Christ. It's a big ask, but I trust the Holy Spirit will bring these things about so that Jesus Christ is exalted in our lives individually and corporately. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's passion. We thank you that his life was focused on Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that in our lives individually and corporately in the life of our church, people will see Jesus. Help us to respond in the right manner uh, when persecution comes. May our dedication be all that be uh, that which governs and directs us. Our dedication to Jesus. Amen.